0: Daniel 3, verses 1 through 30. We have already seen how Daniel and his friends have been carried into captivity in Babylon. They um, have uh, passed the test, as it were, of being faithful to the Lord in a foreign land. God has also made them fruitful in a foreign land. He has used Daniel and his friends in calling on the Lord to reveal to Nebuchadnezzar the dream that he had and the interpretation of that dream. And we have seen how God has given foreshadowings of his everlasting kingdom, what, what he was going to do in the latter days after Babylon and the, the Greco, um, the, the, the uh, Greek uh, conquest of the world under Alexander and the Roman conquest in the days of Rome. And then how God would set up his kingdom and would establish his king to be an everlasting king, ruling and reigning forever after those kingdoms had passed. And on the heels of Daniel and his friends, giving this dream and this interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar, we now read, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. They brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not heard and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power Over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. The grass withers, The flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, there were two British reformers by the name of Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer who had themselves been Roman Catholic priests. They had in due time been converted. In fact, Latimer had been converted by a Protestant minister who had gone into a confessional when he was serving as a Roman Catholic priest. And instead of confessing his sins, gave Latimer the gospel, and he was converted and became one of the great Protestant reformers. And yet, these two men had elicited the rage of the Roman Catholic Church. On October 16th of 1555, they would be burned at the stake, and their deaths would spread far and wide. In fact, when they died, the smell of burning flesh is said to have spread far and wide so that the people could smell the... the, the burning of their flesh throughout far portions of the city in which they were burned. Um, Ridley, when he was being tied to the stake, prayed, O Heavenly Father, I give to you my hearty thanks that you have called me to profess you even to death. I beg you, Lord, have mercy on this realm of England and deliver it from all her enemies. When Ridley was burned to death, he cried out, Into your hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. But the wood was green and was not burning as it ought, and so he burned very slowly in that fire. And yet he cried out as he was burning slowly. He cried out, Lord, have mercy on me. I cannot burn. Have mercy on me. I cannot burn. Let the fire come to me. Latimer died much more quickly, and as he was dying, he looked over and cried to Ridley, Be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, play the man. We shall this day light such a fire by God's grace in England that I trust it shall never be put out. It's one of the great stories in church history of the martyrs who suffered great and extremely painful loss for their testimony to Christ. But as our account tonight shows, it's not always the case that the saints suffer great loss in their faithfulness to Christ. Sometimes in this life, God delivers them. And we all know so well the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm sure that if I'd asked you to recount it tonight, almost all of you could recount exactly what happened to them, exactly how God delivered them. And yet I want us to consider as we look at this in the context of what went before everything that we've seen already, how God has been working his purposes out in the life of these four young teenagers, Daniel and his three friends, and as God has positioned them in the very courts of Nebuchadnezzar, and as uh, the opposition has been mounting, and, and you will see throughout this book how that opposition continues to mount, and ...ever increases, here for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, later for Daniel in chapter 6, and yet it has already begun. We have already seen in chapter 2 how there was a threat that Daniel's life and the life of these his friends were in jeopardy. Because the king in his rage didn't trust anyone, in his insecurity and his malice in his conscience at work against him and against others because he had oppressed God's people... That that he had threatened the very lives of these servants of God. And yet, God had delivered them by revealing the dream and its meaning to Daniel and his friends when they came and called on him. And you'll notice that Nebuchadnezzar seems to have been humbled. Nebuchadnezzar seems to acknowledge that there is no God in heaven but the God who reveals mysteries, and that he had revealed them to Daniel and his friends. And yet what we're going to see tonight is that Nebuchadnezzar was not trusting in the God of heaven. He was merely amazed by the astonishing works of God. He was—he liked the spectacular things. He wanted to acknowledge the spectacular, but his heart was not in a place of worshiping the God of heaven and earth. Now I want us to consider three things as we look at this chapter together tonight. First, I want us to consider... Nebuchadnezzar's defiant opposition, then I want us to consider Daniel's three friends' resigned faith, and then I want us to consider the divine deliverance. Defiant opposition, resigned faith, divine deliverance. Well, notice, no sooner have we left chapter 2, where Nebuchadnezzar has exalted Daniel and his friends. He has put them in a place of exalted position in his kingdom. They have gone from suffering to exaltation. Death, resurrection, exaltation. And yet, no sooner have they done this that right on the heels of that, we read about Nebuchadnezzar's defiant opposition to God and to his people. Now, this ought to strike us as strange. Remember, it was Daniel and his friends who just gave the king what he wanted, and it was the king that had exalted them. And yet, no sooner does he do that that we read notice verse one king nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits now nebuchadnezzar decides on the heel of being told that he had had a dream about an image made of four parts and that that image represented four kingdoms and that ultimately those kingdoms would come to an end and a rock cut out without hands would fall and crush it and become a great mountain and would be the the kingdom of God filling the earth. And on the heels of hearing about that, Nebuchadnezzar decides, I am going to make an image of myself. And instead of it being four parts of different metals, I'm going to make it all gold. It's going to be 90 feet tall and nine feet wide because I am great. Never a good idea to do that. God has just showed him What's going to happen to him? And instead of humbling himself under the mighty hand of God, he defies God and sets himself up because he's an absolute megalomaniac. Now, this is really a picture of human pride. It is man in all of his depraved arrogance. No matter how much God may warn Man in his arrogance, in his natural condition, he will always set himself up in opposition to God. It is also a picture, isn't it, of Satan's kingdom. Here, Nebuchadnezzar serves as the king of the most powerful pagan nation in the world. And the image that he has set up is not only a monument to himself, but he is in a very real sense the avatar of the gods that his people worship. And so in setting up this image, he is setting up worship to these foreign gods as channeled through himself as the representative of these gods. Now, there is a very real picture here of the conflict between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God, between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. This This is the heart of the conflict. This is the fallen world. This is the nations of the world. You know, when... The Apostle John wants to talk about Satan's kingdom in the book of Revelation. He shorthands it Babylon. He's reflecting, as it were, on the arrogance of human pride and the manifestation of Satan's kingdom here under the very defiant opposition of Nebuchadnezzar. Listen to this. Ian Dugood said, in contrast to Daniel's confession back in chapter 2, verse 21 that it was the God of heaven who set up kings and deposed them. The statue was Nebuchadnezzar's defiant declaration that as king, he could set up gods for his people to worship. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is setting the stage for a worship service in Babylon. Um, You pick up on this very quickly when you understand that Not only are the people to worship the gods represented by this image of Nebuchadnezzar, but there is that accompanying music. Isn't that interesting? And the the repetition of the instruments that are used are reminding us of God calling his people to praise him with lute and harp and stringed instruments and flutes in the Psalms. Isn't that interesting? It's it's a counterfeit worship service, and he's calling all those in his kingdom to bow down and to enter into this worship service. Not just emperor worship, but the worship of these foreign deities that he has set up before his people to worship. Now, one thing that you may not know, and that's not evident from the text, is the place where he set up this image was the same place archaeologists. Uh, conclude where the Tower of Babylon would have been built. That's interesting. What Nebuchadnezzar is doing is, in a very real sense, he is recapitulating what men had done in that primitive period when they had tried to make a name for themselves, when they had said, let's come together, let's unite together, let's make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered over the face of the earth. Listen to this. Do good, again, says Nebuchadnezzar's statue, statue was designed to establish a lasting testimony to his glory and to provide a unifying focus for his kingdom. The curse of Babel, had it seemed, been successfully reversed. Isn't that interesting? Nebuchadnezzar is, in a very real sense, trying to reverse the curse that God had placed on Babel. We see that, don't we, in the language in this chapter. Notice that when Nebuchadnezzar sets up this statue, and and he calls all his leaders together. Notice verse 4. The herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. Do you see the theme from Babel? Peoples, nations, nations. And languages, you are commanded to come together, to be unified, and when the music is playing, to bow down and pay homage to the statue. Notice again in verse 7 Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down. And worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This is a picture of this fallen world under the sway of the evil one. Um, We live in a world where we are constantly being called to worship things that are not God. And they may not be a nine-foot golden statue. And they may not be as overtly idolatrous but all of the pleasures of power, all, all pleasure, power, and provision, all of the idols that we are constantly being called to set up and bow down and worship are just as much idols under the sway of the evil one as this was. And when the world calls us to give our time and energy and money to idols of sports in those great worship temples of stadiums, or of commerce, or of those other things that are counterfeit religions, then we are called to realize what's happening and the peculiar temptation that we are being tempted with. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's defiant opposition is met with an unlikely resigned faith by Daniel's three friends. Notice first that Some of the Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Now, one of the things that's striking about this chapter is that the only three people that we know didn't bow down were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We have no reason to believe that the other Jews didn't bow down. In fact, we have every reason that the rest of the Jews bowed down with the Babylonians and the Chaldeans and the others, but that there were three that refused to. But the hatred that, that the kingdom of darkness has against the church and the people of God is manifested in these Chaldeans coming forward and accusing all of the Jews. Notice they come and they, they flatter Nebuchadnezzar. They say, O king, live forever. You, O king, you made this decree. And, and whoever does not fall down in worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And then notice verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you appointed over the affairs of the province. These pay you no attention. These do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And Nebuchadnezzar in that defiant opposition now enraged because he is not receiving the worship. He is not receiving the homage that he thinks he is due. Um, Comes and confronts Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach. And Abednego. Now, um, he, he threatens them. Notice at the very end of verse 15 if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Now, how quickly Nebuchadnezzar has forgotten who Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego serve. How quickly he has forgotten. Who Daniel serves. And how ready he is to threaten God's people to be burned to death if they will not worship at his command. Notice that the three friends of Daniel were confident that God was going to save them by his power, or they were at least resigned to the sovereignty of his will. Those are the two things. They were confident he could save them in his power. They were at the very least resign to the sovereignty of his will notice how they respond to him in verse 16 O nebuchadnezzar we have no need to answer you in this matter if this be so our god whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace he will deliver us out of our hand o king but if not be it known to you o king that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up now What what are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego doing? They are taking everything that they know about the God of Israel. They are taking everything they know about the power he displayed when he delivered Israel out of Egypt. They are taking what they know about the power he displayed in the conquest over their enemies In the conquest of the land of Israel. They are taking everything they know about the power that he displayed through the former prophets through Elijah and Elisha. They are taking everything that they know about the powerful works of God that he displayed throughout redemptive history. And they are saying, "O king, we know that our God, if he is able, will deliver us. Now they are not saying that he is not able. There is not a question about his ability. They are essentially saying if he wills to put his power to work, he will deliver us from your hand. But if he doesn't will to do that, we are resigned to trust him. And we will not bow down to your gods. Now, they teach us here the very <laughs> essence of... Of what it means to walk by faith. You know, as I meditated on this, I thought about all the health, wealth, prosperity people, the name it and claim it people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not name it and claim it. They trust that God is able to save them if he will. But they know that if he won't, they are going to trust him because they are resigned that his will be done and not their own. Now, what's marvelous about what they do in this great act of faith, this resigned faith in which they entrust themselves to the God of heaven, is that they are prefiguring the very thing that Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus is staring into the furnace of the wrath of God, and and he cries out, Lord, if if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He is praying the very thing that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are confessing to Nebuchadnezzar. Um, It's very interesting. Um, The faith that they exhibit is the faith that all saints are called to exhibit. If you look in The great faith chapter in hebrews chapter 11 and you read of that that great company that great cloud of witnesses from the old covenant who through all the trials through all the challenges through all the difficulties through all the uncertainties through all the things that were unseen grabbed hold of the promises of god and trusted him but when you come to the end of that chapter one of the interesting things is that we are told that that some of them, some of them by faith, they, they stopped the mouths of lions. Women received their dead back. Some conquered kingdoms. But then we're told some were sawn in two. Some lived in caves and rocks. Some were put to death of whom the world is not worthy. And so you see that, that the life of faith And the faith that we're called to exercise in the same God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted in is a faith that said, whether he saves me or destroys me in this life, I will trust him. It is is the same thing that Job says when he says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. They are saying, even if he doesn't deliver us in this moment from this fire, we will trust him. Now, that's marvelous, and it's also quite rare. You know, there's not many Christians who have faced the threats that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced, who have stood their ground in this way. And yet they are teaching us that if God calls us to suffer, that we can face it the same way that Ridley and Latimer faced it. That even if God doesn't deliver us, we are going to light a fire that is never going to be put out throughout England. That even if he doesn't deliver us by his power, we will not bow down and worship idols. It's remarkable what Daniel's friends do in that one little statement. Notice also that they don't do what they don't do. They don't lead a rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar. We saw this with Daniel. They don't say, we're going to go out there and tear this thing down because our God is Lord. They simply say, if our God wants to deliver us, he will. And if he doesn't, he won't. And so Nebuchadnezzar is enraged. And he asks and orders his mighty men to heat up the fire seven times. To bind these men in their clothes and to throw them in. Now, No sooner are they thrown into this fire than Nebuchadnezzar perceives that something's not right. He knew that he had three thrown in. He sees a fourth walking in the midst of the fire. He doesn't understand what's going on. He says to his men, Didn't I throw three in? They said, Yes. He says, Why do I see a fourth walking in the midst of the fire? They're not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth. ...is like, and in Hebrew it is literally, like a son of the gods. Now, there are some who think this fourth figure was just an angel. There are others who think this was a pre-incarnate manifestation of the second person of the Godhead. I heartily believe that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus in the fire with these, his servants... Protecting them, keeping them, making his presence known with them in the fire. Listen to this, John Owen reflecting on this account. He said, faith will bring in the presence of Christ in such a season. Faith will bring in the presence of Christ in such a season. He said, when otherwise your heart would fail for fear, for you would be left to your own wisdom, which is folly, and to your own strength, which is weakness. Faith will give us the same composure of spirit, the same resolution as these men had. And with these things, we should relieve ourselves under the worst that can befall us. You see, what, what Owen's saying is if we are trusting in the God of heaven, even if we face the most severe Affliction and trial and opposition because of our faith in Christ. Our faith will bring Christ into the very furnace with us. He will be with us. You know, this is a fulfillment. By the way, Isaiah the prophet prophesied before Daniel and his friends went into Babylon and before these three were thrown into the fire. And in Isaiah 43 too, the Lord said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned and the flame will not consume you. That was before this happened. God is giving a tangible example of what he said through Isaiah in the experience of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Now, it's interesting... Um, God could have allowed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to perish, and they would have been delivered in the resurrection. So no matter what happened to them, they would have been delivered. And yet, in this moment in redemptive history, he gave us this as a picture that he can deliver, even in the moment of affliction and opposition, even in that severe and fiery trial with which we are tried the Lord can deliver. And so I want us to consider the divine deliverance in the third place. Now notice before Nebuchadnezzar sees that fourth figure in the fire and realizes that they're not hurt, the men that were called to throw them in the fire were themselves consumed by the fire. You see, the divine deliverance and the salvation that God provides Begins with the destruction of his enemies. Isn't that interesting? In the very act of saving Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God acts in judgment on his enemies. He destroys his enemies. He delivers his people. That's always the way that God works. Remember, when Egypt was pursuing Israel through the Red Sea, and Israel walked through as on dry ground... But the Egyptians were destroyed with the waters or before that in the flood when God saved Noah and those with him in the ark. He destroyed the world with the same water by which he saved Noah. The same fire in which Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were preserved was the same fire with which God destroyed his enemies. And then there is the very presence of Christ with them. Here is God in the fire with them. Here is the God in whom they are trusting, and he is with them. Here is the God who says to his people and said so long before in Joshua, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, that's important because the time may come when you may suffer suffer opposition for your faith. And in that moment, we are to remember that God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He may deliver you in the here and now. He may deliver you in the resurrection in the hereafter. But he will never leave his people. He says, lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age, even in the fire, even in the hottest conflict, even in the most fiery opposition. The Lord said, I am with you. I will keep you. I will be with you. I will guide you. The flame will not hurt you. You know, what enabled Ridley and Latimer to pray the prayers they they did and to make the statements they did while the flame was consuming them? Because they knew that that flame couldn't hurt them ultimately. They knew that God was going to bring them through in the resurrection on the last day and that he was with them in the fire. That's how Ridley could say to Latimer, play the man. Or Latimer could say to Ridley, play the man. Play the man for Jesus. Because we can't burn. We can't burn. Even if the world does its worst to us. Jesus said, do not fear those who can destroy the body and afterwards have nothing else they can do. But, but fear him who, after he has destroyed body, can throw soul and body in hell. Fear him. Um, There is, of course, this beautiful picture here, though, of a death, a resurrection, and an exaltation. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego go into the fire. That's death. They're brought out. That's resurrection. They're given a promotion. That's exaltation, just like Daniel will in chapter 6, just like David did constantly. And that's the theme of the Old Testament, the covenantal theme of these typical deaths and resurrections. And what are they pointing to? They're pointing to what the Lord Jesus would undergo under the fire of God's wrath on the cross. You know, when Jonathan Edwards is reflecting on the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and the Father putting the cup in front of him. This is what he says. Listen, he says the thing that Christ's mind was so full of at that time was the dread of. Of his human nature, feeble though it was, of that dreadful cup, which was much more terrible than Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace. You see, the father's cup was more terrible than Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace. Listen to this. Edward says, Christ had a near view of that furnace of wrath into which he was to be cast. He was brought to the mouth of the furnace that he might look in it, stand and view its raging flames and see the glowing of its heat that he might know where he was going and what he was about to suffer. This was the thing that filled Jesus's soul with sorrow and darkness, this terrible sight as it overwhelmed him. Now, what Edwards is doing is drawing an analogy and he's saying, Christ went into the fire of God's wrath. And unlike Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he was in there alone. He was forsaken so that you would be able to endure the fire of God's wrath on Judgment Day, so that he would stand with you on that great day of wrath, and so that you would come out unscathed and untouched. Um, I love this. Edward says, listen carefully, Christ redeems us, I'm sorry, Christ redeems from the furnace by coming into it himself. Christ redeems from the furnace by coming into it himself. He redeems from wrath by enduring it himself. You see, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego suffered at the hands of men was child's play. Compared to what it's going to be like for men to suffer under the wrath of God. And yet Christ put himself in the fiery furnace on the cross and was totally consumed so that you would not be consumed on judgment day. So that whatever we suffer at the hands of wicked men who defiantly raise themselves and exalt themselves against the God of heaven is is nothing for us to fear. Because Christ has entered a greater furnace and experienced a greater judgment and a greater loss to redeem us and to bring us safely to glory. Now, that's an awesome thought. And that is meant to bolster in us this thought. When we are being opposed for Christ, when we are being threatened by the world, when we are being hated by the world, when we are facing loss and opposition and maybe very painful loss and opposition, we don't have to fear. We can say the same thing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. Our God is able to save us and to deliver us from your hand, but if he will not, we will not bow down and worship your gods. I want to say this tonight again. The example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is rare. It was rare among the Jews in their day, and it's rare in the church today. Many, and I would venture to say most Christians, are ready to give in to the least opposition and bow the knee to foreign gods the second they feel that pressure. And you and I have the same hearts and the same weak natures But we have the same strong Christ who went in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then who put himself in the greater furnace of the wrath of God. That he might deliver us and make us know that we don't need to fear the flame. So that when I look at the cross and I see what Jesus did for me in drinking the cup of wrath that I deserve and that you deserve we can know that god meant what he said when he said in isaiah 43:2, when you walk through the fire you will not be burned and the flame will not consume you how do i know that the fire and the flame will not burn and consume me because christ was consumed for me under a greater fire under a greater wrath he was consumed for me and that is the glorious good news And that carries us through all the challenges, all the threats, and all the oppositions that we may face. You know, let me say this tonight. You and I have it really easy. You have it really easy. And I have it really easy. You and I have never known opposition like this opposition. The days may come, and they may come quick, when all that we know right now is not reality for us. And the hard times may come, and the fiery furnace and the temptations may come. And when they do, this is where we go. And we know that we have one that said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be in the fire with you, and I went in the fire by myself for you. So that you know I will deliver you, if not in this life, in the resurrection on the last day. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for giving us such a marvelous testimony of your power over the forces of darkness, of your power at work in the deliverance of your people. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you that you are in the fire with us when you call us to endure the fires of persecution and opposition. We thank you that you were with us ridley and latimer when they were burned at the stake for their faith in you and we thank you lord jesus that you have gone into the furnace of the fire of god's wrath on the cross drinking to the very dregs the cup of wrath that we deserve and we thank you that you have done that to make us to know that we will not be burned and we will not be consumed by the fire of god's wrath on judgment day We pray, our God, that you would remind us that you are with us and that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Would you increase our faith and give us grace to stand firm in the evil day? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we respond together, let's rise and sing together hymn 364. How firm a foundation. Would you rise and let's sing together.